every day. Every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Desperation. Stand up. Come on, stand up. We're going to do something. Everybody have a Red Bull this morning? No, I had one. Anybody have coffee this morning? I had some. Did anybody have a caramel macchiato this morning? I had one. So, two cups of coffee, caramel macchiato, Red Bull. I am ready to flow. So everybody do this. Put your hands up in the air and wave them like you really do care. Bend down, touch your knees. Reach over, touch your neighbor's knees. Slap him on the shoulder. Tell him, wake up. It's time. All right, and then you can grab a seat. All right, well, good morning. It's great to have everybody here at our home church in Richland, Michigan. And uh, we're fired up about it. David Perkins and his whole team, we just love them. And become great friends, and uh, it is just a huge honor to host this event here. And so youth pastors, uh, pastors, church leaders, we are grateful that you drove and came to Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, it's a high honor for us. And it's an incredible honor to speak to you guys this morning and to just share a little bit about, um, about what it means to have an undivided heart in our affections towards the Lord. Um, David said, I started this church at 25 years old. Prior to that, I was in youth ministry. And uh, way back when, when I was about 12 years old, I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus where I gave my heart to him completely. And I spent my teen years really pressing in, seeking out what God would have for me to spend the rest of my life doing to serve him. And so uh, I was able to do some things at a very young age that a lot of people wait until later on in life to do. And it wasn't because of any great content or any great... uh, you know, differentiation between me and anybody else. It was just simply that I made a decision when I was a young man. And the decision that I made was that I was going to have an undivided heart towards the Lord. And so my life message kind of that I share with a lot of young people and share with a lot of old people for that matter, is just that the calling that God has given to each and every one of us is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, and to really know what that means. And I'm going to talk with you this morning about that. If you brought your Bibles, you can open it to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a passage of Scripture that is called the Shema. Everybody say that, Shema. And so if you ever have a hard time remembering, just saying, if you forget it, it's a Shema. Because you don't want to forget it. It's, it's an important, I know that was bad, but it's early. All right, so. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a scripture that it's actually a a prayer. It's a commandment that the Lord gave to Israel, his people, and it was centered around the idea of having an undivided heart in our devotion to him. The scripture says this in verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. This was a scripture, this was a prayer that God said to Israel, I want you to 
keep this on the forefront, on the frontlets of your heart. I want you to write these words on your heart. I want you to say them on a daily basis. I want this to become the life mission that you live by, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And, you know, Jesus was asked one time, what is the greatest commandment? Because there's a lot of different commandments. But which is the greatest? And this is what Jesus quoted. He said, the greatest commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And he threw on there with all of your strength. Why is that the greatest commandment? It's because it comes down, it really boils us down to the simple the simple affections that God is looking for in each one of our lives. That in a world where there's so many different things vying for our attention and our affections, that we become one focused people. That with all that we are, that all that we have, with, with everything that we are becoming, we wrap ourselves around the fact that God is one. Now, when he says God is one, he's not just saying that, God is, that there's only one God and there's no other gods. The, the, the Hebrew idea of God is one is this. And I want you to grab this. That God is everything. That everything can be summed up in him. That he's the all-sufficient one. He's everything that we need. He's where we come from. He's where we're going. He's where we find our purpose. He's where we find our identity. He's where we find our affections. Literally, the idea of God is one is God is saying, I am it. I'm everything that you will ever need. I'm everything that you will ever become. And I want you to live your life orbiting around me. I want you to live a life where your affections, where your thoughts, where your ideas, where your identities are all rotating, all orbiting around the central theme of who God is and live your life in the pursuit of who God is. And the reason why God gave Israel and the reason why Jesus reiterated this as the greatest commandment is because it is also the most highly contested issue in the universe. You see, right now, all over on planet Earth, there are six and a half billion people alive on planet Earth right now. And there are wars. There are over 3,000 either wars or skirmishes or, or little conflicts that are going on around the world right now, presently. Most of them are over borders. They're over territories. Taiwan and China. Is Taiwan separate or are they part of China? There is the, the debate about Tibet, whether they should be under Chinese control or not. And the greatest one that is still going on is the Palestinian and the Israeli conflict over who gets control of the Temple Mount, over who is going to be the sovereign state. And it's all these, all these wars and all these borders are in dispute, but the greatest territory that is in dispute in the entire universe right now is your heart. It is the most contested territory in the universe because God is calling you to give him all of your heart, to love him with everything that you are, everything that you have, everything that you're becoming, everything you'll ever do. And then there is the enemy who wants to divide and conquer your heart, slice it up into little pieces and to say, no, you can give God this part, but give me this part. Or if you'll give me this part, I'll give you this. And if we're not careful, our heart becomes divided and our destiny becomes compromised. You know, the Bible talks about our hearts. It says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. That word issues literally translated means this, the boundary markers of your life. 
It says, guard your heart because out of your heart flows your life. Out of your heart flows the boundary markers of your future. You know, you take a look at where you are today in life, and you might be 13, 14, you might be 30 in this room. And you look at where you are today in life. You look at what's important to you. You look at maybe what's happened to you, the good, the bad, the successes, the failures. And here's what I can guarantee you about where you are in life today. It's the result of the boundary markers that you either enforced or didn't enforce in your heart yesterday and the day before that. If Jesus is Lord of your life, it's because you established a border in your life and you said, this territory, all of my heart, undivided, heart, soul, mind, strength, it belongs to Jesus. And to the degree that you've pushed back the boundaries of the world is to the degree that Jesus is living and reigning in your heart and you're experiencing the life that God came to give us, the life that Jesus came into the world to give us. But in those places in your life where you've allowed the enemy to come and encroach and to say, you know what, your boundary's a little far out here. Come on, there's got to be some margin in your life. How about just a little bit here? Come on, let's just, let's just draw the line in a little bit further. To that degree, you become marginalized in your commitment to the Lord. And here's what I believe with all of my heart. That whatever part of your heart you leave contestable becomes fertile ground for devotion to something else. Whatever part of your life you allow to become contestable, which means let's negotiate. Let's talk it through. Let's really think it through. I mean, think about it. How many people do you know that have made the statement over and over and over again, you know, I believe in God. I believe in God, but... I just don't want to go crazy about it. Or, you know, I believe in God and I go to church and I read my Bible, but, you know, I've still got this thing that I'm not ready to give up. Or they've got a relationship or they've got an addiction or they've got, uh, they've, they've got a, a plan that they want to see executed in their life. And they're afraid that if they give their whole heart to the Lord, that somehow God's going to keep back from them something that they want that's going to fulfill them. When I was a little kid growing up in church, we had, I went to a little church called New Hope Bible Church. And uh, in this church, we, we had missionaries that always came. And the missionaries would come and they would show slides in church. You ever seen a slideshow? It's like, you know, I don't even know if we have slides anymore with overhead projectors. But uh, it used to be like, you know, a missionary would come and go, click, and this is an elephant click. And this is the grass hut that we've lived in for 40 years. Click. And here are the monkeys that steal our food and click and click and click and click. And I remember even as a little kid, when the missionary would get done and call, he'd always have an altar call for people to go into all the world and, you know, be missionaries. I remember thinking to myself as a young person, I am not giving my whole heart to God because if I do, he's going to call me to Africa to live in a grass hut and wear a loincloth. I can remember thinking to myself, I'm not going there. You know, and on much larger scales, we often find ourselves doing that very thing, saying, if I really give my whole heart to the Lord, if I surrender that area of my life, if I move the boundary marker out to its outer limits and give God everything, I might lose out on something. I might lose out. And what happens is that part of our heart that we don't draw a boundary marker and give it to Jesus becomes contestable. It becomes contestable. The enemy comes and contests for it. He works for it. And in the midst of a generation that is filled with idols and addictions, there can be no place in our life that is contestable or vulnerable for anything else to grow and take root in our life. 
You see, because that's what defines our generation. Because really, it defines all generations. The human heart hasn't changed in thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, we've grown and technology has expanded and we've got a lot more information at our fingertips right now and a lot more options and and communication and travel and all those things. But really, the human heart is still corrupt and self-centered and broken and and frail. And, And so what manifests in every generation, but really right now is manifesting in a very unique way, is that we're a generation of addictions and idols. I've had the opportunity of traveling around the world at some nations. Uh, I've been to India, and, and in India, I've seen massive temples that are built around idols that people worship, rats and snakes and, you know, gods with arms and legs and blue and all kinds. And, and I drive by those temples, and I've been in Europe, and I've seen things that people worship, trees and stones and rocks. And, you know, my first impression every time I see that is this, it's, How in the world can somebody be so naive to worship that? Have you ever thought about that? It's like, yeah, I mean, those people were ignorant. They worshiped totem poles and trees and different stuff like that. But the reality is, in American culture, we're just as much idolatrous as any other culture. We just have more sophisticated idols. You see, we don't worship trees. We just cut them down, grind them up, build them into pulp, and stamp ink on them and call it money. And we don't worship rocks, we just cut them into the right sizes and we stack them and we build homes. And we don't fashion things with silver and gold, we just put wheels on them and call them cars. See, we're just more sophisticated. And our idols, they talk. It's iChat, and it's our cell phones, and it's the people that we idolize, our athletes and the body images that the world is trying to tell us that we need to go after. And, and uh, you know, it's the MySpace and the Facebook time that is stealing our affections. And it's those part of our lives. None of those things in and of themselves are wrong. I mean, they're all tools. But here's what happens. Those things become false images in our life that, are, that we're believing that if we surrender a part of our heart to them, they will fill us and bring fulfillment. They'll bring completion to us. And so in our lonely times, instead of running to God, what we do is we run to the computer. And we sit on the computer. And we get on and we're a part of a community. And it's where everybody knows your name. And everybody's logged in. And it's BFF and LOL and OMG and all the other little... And that's like your prayer time. And we go to the movie theaters. And we let down our guards. For the sake of the God of entertainment. And what happens is the, the idols in our life, we don't walk around. We don't go to Walmart and say, uh, where's the aisle that sells the idols? I need a new God in my life. We don't do it. And you know, the enemy is more deceptive than we give him credit for. The devil no, never shows up in your life. Hello, my name is Louis Siffer, and I'm here to destroy your life. Can I come in? It's like that cockroach commercial. Uh, where do you want the pizzas? You know, you've seen that one, the Orkin commercial? It's like, that's not how the devil shows up in our life. He doesn't say, hi, I'm the devil, and I've got a terrible plan for your life. Can I come in and begin to unpack my destructive plan that's going to wreak havoc on you and drive you to an eternal separated from God for all eternity? It's wonderful. It's not how the devil shows up. He shows up camouflaged in convenience. He comes camouflaged in a good time and everybody's doing it, and it'll make you happy, it will fulfill you. You see, the enemy is the master distractor. 
And the ultimate distraction that he wants to bring you to is a distraction from this loving God with all of, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. He wants to get your eyes off of where you're going. He wants to deceive and distract you. And he wants to bring you to a place of compromise. About eight years ago, uh, I was leaving the office and my wife, Jane, who's in the back, she called me and she said, hey, can you swing by the grocery store and just pick up some stuff? You know, we're out of stuff. And uh, I said, sure. So I jumped in my truck. And at that time, I had a Dodge Durango. You know, it was a big black truck with a big V8 motor. There's a man's truck. It's not one of these little smart car pregnant roller skates that you wind up. I mean, it was like a truck. And so I'm in my truck, and I'm driving down the road, and this main road you all came in on, on Gull Road. And I came to the intersection of Gull and Sprinkle, and uh, we came to the stoplight, and, or I came to the stoplight, and I was listening to a teaching tape, a cassette tape, and probably we've never ever heard of those, but that's how we used to get information. And so I had the cassette tape in, and it said, for the continuation of this message, please put in tape two. And so I'm at a red light, and you know, there's a left turn lane to the left of me, right turn lane to the right of me, and I think I got enough time. But see, I'm kind of a nervous driver. I, I, I don't like pace cars that get in front of me and slow me down, and I don't like to slow other people down. And so, you know, I got in the left turn lane, had my foot on the brake pedal, I'm looking up, and, and uh, I go to get tape number two, and it falls onto the floorboard of the passenger, you know, side. I'm like, great. So I got my foot on my brake and my hand on, and I'm like trying to get the tape, like, and I can just barely reach it. You know, it's kind of one of those tap, 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 trying to pull it. You don't want to let your foot off the brake pedal. You don't want to put it in park. You don't got enough time, and I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm trying to get the tape, and it's just barely out of my reach. I see cars moving just kind of in my peripheral vision. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I got to hurry up. I got to hurry up. I got to hurry up. And just about that time, the guy behind me or somebody behind me, oh, 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 blares on the horn. And immediately I'm like, I missed the light. Everybody's waiting on me. Oh. So I come up and I just slam on the gas pedal. Just boom. The light was still red. And I ran full throttle into the car in front of me. I mean, boom, radiator fluid flying everywhere, black metal, kids crying. <laughs> I mean, it's bad. There is smoke all over the place. Oh, and then the light turned green. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I mean, if you've ever been in an accident, you have that moment where you're like, I wish I could rewind the tape, but you can't. And I'm thinking I got to get my proof of insurance and everything. Out. And so I got all that out and I got out of the car. And as if matters could not get worse. As I get out of the car, approaching the car that I ran into, out of this black tinted window car emerges two enormous bald men <laughs> with black t-shirts on, SWAT pants on, and big white black letters across their chest that says, POLICE. <laughs> Except you really couldn't read the letters because there was pop all over their shirt. They had just pulled out of the KFC where they had gotten lunch and they were drinking their pop and then I showed up. Boom! And, I mean, it's bad. They're, they got little walkie-talkies on their shoulder. They're like, units two and three, move in without us. We're I totaled out their car. These are undercover narcotics police officers who have been working on a drug bus for a year and a half and they're on their way to it. They grab lunch and then they're going to it and then... <laughs> I showed up. I mean, they are walking at me and they are, it looks like an episode out of Cops. 
I mean, it is, what the beep, 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 are you beep, beep, beep? I mean, it's not a heavenly language. They are swearing in words I have never heard of. I'm like, I don't really know what that means, but it's bad and it scares me. And they're walking at me. I mean, they got guns and billy sticks and mace and stuff. And they're walking at me swearing and they are not happy. And I'm, I want to crawl under my truck, except it's broken. And so as they are walking back towards me, they come, what are you doing? I'm, I'm like, you know, you are so right. I am an idiot. I'm so sorry. God, oh, I thought the light turned. And I was, what in the beep, 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 Okay, beep, where are you coming from? And I'm like, I'm on my way from work to the grocery store. And I just, and he's like, where do you work? Resurrection Life Church. What do you do there? I'm the pastor. Now, here's immediately what happens. They went from cussing to... <laughs> father. No, the guy literally said, he said, I am so fa- I'm so sorry, Father, for my language. I am so... so please forgive me, Father. I mean, and the other guy goes, yeah, my, my mom's got a Bible. Um... Now, I am not used to being called father. I'm kind of an untraditional young guy. But in that moment, you are forgiven, my son. I forgive you. (laughs) I forgive you. Now, I still got the ticket. I know, bummer, right? Story would have been so much better if they had a lot, no ticket, but... I got the ticket. Now you might be wondering, why in the world did he tell that story? Number one, because it was a very expensive story and I need to use it as often as possible. But, but number two, because that's what happens when we get distracted. Things happen when we are in a position of distraction, where we don't have our eyes on the right things. You see, when your eyes are not on the right things, when you're not focused on the right things, the peripheral vision of your heart becomes the areas of vulnerability for the enemy to work in your life. He begins to whisper questions and doubts and wonderments inside of you. He begins to challenge those areas, the peripheral edges of your life, the areas where you're not focused and where the boundaries are not being enforced, where you're not really guarding your heart and your life. You know, this is what the enemy did to Jesus. In fact, I want you to turn there. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Because what we're going to find is that, you know, Jesus was God in the flesh, fully man, fully God, came, lived, and experienced every temptation. He experienced every challenge that you and I will ever experience. He came into this world. He understood appetites. He understood temptation. He understood fears. He understood pain. He understood betrayal. He understood the questions. But yet, in all of those things, he remains sinless. And, you know, Jesus is the one who said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, with all of your strength, and love your enemy as yourself. But it's not as if he just spit this off as some great doctrinal theological answer where we could all say, sure, you can say that, you're God. He had to live this. He had to enforce the boundaries of his heart. He had to fight against the distractions and the deceptions of the enemy. And it says in Matthew chapter 4 that, Verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves and bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, let me, let me just tell you what the enemy was coming to challenge. Before Jesus ever began his ministry, his destiny... He was driven into the wilderness to be tempted. And the thing that the enemy came to contest was his devotion to the oneness of God in his life. Because what I'm going to tell you is that every one of the statements that Jesus answered back with was out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, and Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is part of it. He answered back out of the Shema that, no, my source is God. No, my protector is God. No, the, con- the controller of my future is God. He was quoting out of the Shema because he understood what the enemy was coming to challenge. He came and was challenging his complete and utter devotion that God in his life was everything. Think about the things that he challenged him. Number one, he divorced or he challenged desire, the appetites of our life. Because let me tell you, the areas in our life that we build idols oftentimes revolve around the desires of our heart. He came and he said, come on, I know you're hungry. It's been 40 days. I'm hungry after 40 minutes. 40 days, it says, and after 40 days he was hungry. And that's when the enemy came. And he said, come on, Jesus. Turn these stones into bread. What was he doing? He was tempting him to draw back the borders of his heart in the area of his appetites. Now, let me tell you, the appetites of your life, the desires of your life aren't only food. They're sexual. They're financial. They're relational. They're spiritual. They're emotional. We are people that have been built hardwired with desire. Desire is not a bad thing. Desire is a good thing. But when desire gets out of focus of the oneness and the totality and the fulfillment that only God is, what happens is we build idols. We make an idol out of a person. We make an idol out of our dream or out of our goal. We make an idol out of a passion or out of an addiction. And we begin to get controlled in the margin of our life by a desire. And that's exactly what the enemy came at Jesus with. He said, come on, let your desire be the guide of your life. As a young person, you're living in a world where the media, where marketing, where movies, where your peers, everything is all telling you All the voices in this generation are telling you is that your desires need to be the steering wheel of your life. You let them be the controlling force of your life. If you want it, go for it. If you can dream it, you can have it. And you know what? I'm all about dreams and I'm all about destiny and I'm all about purpose. But any dream or or desire that you have that is outside of the will of God for your life will never bring fulfillment. It will only bring an idol that is nothing but a false image that will bring you to your knees at the end of it. 
it will never satisfy you. We live in a world that says, if you want it, go for it. If it feels good, do it. Everybody else is, come on, experiment, try it out. It's the same as the, as the enemy coming to Jesus in his weakest moment, in his most vulnerable point and saying, come on, turn these rocks into some bread. Go ahead. You've got the power. Do it. He challenged him in the area of his dependency. He said to him, he says, now come on. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down here because you know the Bible says that God's going to take care of you. The protection of the Lord. He'll, he'll bear you up on wings like eagles. Listen to me, young person. The enemy knows the Bible better than you do. And he will challenge you. And I've seen this more than once where young people... Anybody, for that matter, they put themselves into positions of compromise where a, a plan gets downloaded into their heart that they think that is their own. And they say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Someday I'm going to give this over to the Lord. But for right now, I'm going to compromise in this area. And here's what I know. God will forgive me in the end. It'll all work out because God's on my side. God's for me. But let me tell you something, that there, there are decisions that you make that even though God will forgive and his grace can cover, that will, if, if, you, if you go ahead and you premeditatively take those steps to throw yourself off of your focus from the Lord and kind of put God to the test that even though God will meet you and forgive you, they will have long-term ramifications on your heart right now. It will scar you. It will taint you. It will cause you to be jaded. It will cause you to be cynical. And we've got to be people that just say, no, I'm not even going to taste it. I'm not even going to go there. Yes, God's grace will meet me there. And God can completely wash my heart away and can completely heal me. But there are going to be decisions that I make that may have long-term ramifications. Let me tell you, these 16 girls that all made a pact together recently and said, let's all go out and let's all go get pregnant. And it's going to be fun. We're all going to have babies together. There are long-term ramifications to that decision that God's grace can forgive. But for the rest of their life, they're going to live with those decisions. And it's not just girls, it's guys. Guys, I mean, the devil is an equal opportunity abuser. And all he wants is just one moment that he can catch you vulnerable to throw yourself off of the pinnacle of God's safety and provision. And the third area that he challenged him in was in the area of his destiny. He said, listen, all of this I will give to you. All of it. It can all be yours. Just give me what I want and nobody gets hurt. Just bow the knee, worship me right now, and I'll give you what you came for. You know what he was challenging Jesus with? His destiny. Jesus knew why he came here. He knew that he would suffer and he would die and that there was going to be pain. We see in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus, even in his humanity, struggled with that. Oh, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew, look, there's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be left alone. God literally is going to turn his face away from me. And for the first time in eternity, I and the Father are going to be separated because of the sin of humanity put on me. He knew that was coming. But he also knew that God's plan was going to be that he raised him up from the dead and elevated him to the highest place in the universe as King of kings and Lord of lords and given a name above all other names. Savior of the world, King over all. He knew that was coming. He knew that his destiny was to rule over the nations. But here's what Satan came and tempted him with. I got a shortcut. 
You want all the kingdoms of the world? I'll give you the painless, processless solution to the dream and the destiny that you believe is yours, Jesus. We can solve this right now. Bow the knee. You bow the knee, I'll give you everything you want. The shortcut to destiny. And the enemy wants to compromise. The devil wants you to compromise in the dream and in the calling that God the Father has that he's marked out for you before the foundations of the world were ever laid. When he gazed upon you, when he looked at you in his own heart, and as Ephesians chapter 2, 10, he calls, chapter 2, verse 10, he says that you are his workmanship, that he prepared good works for you that you might walk in them before the world ever began. God knew you, he had a purpose for you, and he's come to rescue you and to restore that. That only in Christ Jesus would you and I really be able to walk in the fulfillment of our destiny. But the enemy wants to come into the peripherals, into the marginal parts of our lives, in those areas of our compromise, and say this. If you go my way, it'll be quicker, it'll be painless, and you can get what you want without the process. And I love Jesus' answer. You shall worship the Lord... And serve him only. You know what he was saying? He was saying no to the request to build an idol in his life. It's interesting to me that the gospel or the writer of the gospel of John, the apostle John, who, by the way, you know, said about himself that he was the apostle that Jesus loved. I just find that interesting that you can say that about yourself, you know. I'm the apostle that Jesus loved. But he wrote an epistle to Christians, first. John, and in chapter 5, the, verse 21, the very last thing he writes to Christians is this. He says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Why? Because idols are the easiest things to grow in the fertile soil of our heart when they have not been enforced and focused upon Jesus and upon his call and upon his grace and his love in our lives. You see, what I believe is that the way that we keep our heart free from idols, the way that we break the bondages of sin, the way that the addictions that want to control us and shape us and form our hearts and mold them into these vessels that the world can pour its junk into, the way that we keep our heart free from that isn't another class. It's not even memorizing Bible. It's none of those things. I mean, those are great things. Memorize the Bible, go to church, sing worship songs. All those are wonderful, but it all boils down to the heart. It comes down to the root thing of who we are. The, the, God made it very simple. I believe that the, the solution to keeping our heart free from idols and staying focused on the fact that God is my everything. God is the only one who will satisfy in my life. It boils down to this. We need to have an encounter with the living God because one encounter with the living God changes everything in our lives. And listen, and it can't just be one encounter. What we need to do is we need to have an ongoing encounter with the living God. You see, this is what happened in my life. As a young person, I had an encounter with the Lord. Twelve years old, I felt like God just like pulled back the screen doors of heaven and spoke into my heart. And it was like everything in one moment was put into perspective. It was like I knew who I was. I knew what I was called to do. I knew who God was. I knew I had a purpose and a destiny. I spent my teen years. Now listen, I wasn't perfect. I didn't walk around, oh, you know, with my vicar hat and my bishop staff. I mean, 
I was a young person. I sinned. I messed up. I had desires. I had all those kinds of things going on. But I had made a decision. I had been so captured by who Jesus was that he was real, that he was alive, that he knew my name. That everything else began to pale in comparison. And I I poured myself into, I want to know this God. I want to know him. I'm going to get into his word, not so that I can say, I read my three chapters today, but because I knew that this was where I was going to find all of the answers to who he was. It's like, I want to know everything about him. You know what it's like when you fall in love with somebody or you got like a crush on somebody or you're going with somebody. Remember when you were in school, like elementary school, you pass those little notes and it's like, do you like so-and-so? Yes, no, maybe check a box. Remember that? And your friends like passed it, right? It's like, do you like that? And you're like, you know, just to keep your heart safe, maybe. Pass it back. Cootie catcher. Do you like that? You remember what it was like when you really had a strong crush on somebody and every time you'd walk by him, I can still remember Shanna Schwartz in the fourth grade, man. I mean, woo! I remember walking down the hallway. I was so shy. We were going together for four months. Never talked. Did not talk. We got together through a friend and we broke up through a friend. Never talked. I was scared senseless. Every time I saw her, her feathered hair and her Jordache jeans and polo shirt all flipped up. It was the 80s, you know. I saw, woo! She is cute. Anybody love the 80s out there? Yeah. yeah. Skating parties, totally rad. Yeah. But when you fall in love with somebody like that, you want to know everything about them. So tell me, what is she like? What does she smell like? I mean, like, where does she like to eat? What, I mean, what's her favorite color? Wow. And you just like, and you know, you get on the phone with your, you know, the, the person you shouldn't be talking to on the phone, but you get on the phone with them and you're like, and you just want to hear them breathe. You know, just breathe. <sighs> oh, I love you so much. Oh, I love you too. What are you doing right now? Oh, and mm, uh, what's your favorite color? Oh, I totally love that color. And you just spend hours with each other at Starbucks or, you know, on the phone or on iChat. And you're just drawn to them. You want to know everything about them. What would happen if we lived our lives in pursuit of God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength? What if we had an encounter with the living God? Where, we, where every day when we wake up and we're handed symbolically a decision card that says, do you love Jesus? Yes, no, maybe. What would happen if we stopped checking the maybe box? I want you to think about this. It's, it's possible to believe in God and not love him. It's possible to serve God and not love him. But it's not possible to encounter him and not love him. Because everything's different. Everything changes when you encounter him. And when you have an ongoing encounter day after day where you wake up and you're just like, Lord, I'm coming after you. Here's what I want you to know God says to you. Good, because I'm coming after you. Good. God's not off in the corner of the universe going, well, let's see how, how far you get. Come on. 
Oh, are you knocking on the door? Hmm, let's see how long this goes. Mm-hmm. Oh, are you praying? Hmm, let's see. Am I in the mood for it? Mm, no. That is not the God of the universe. He's like, come after me. Jesus said, when you pray, go into the secret place where your father is waiting. You notice who shows up in the secret place before you do? He does. How many days do we leave him in the secret place? Because his heart is towards us. And I'm going to tell you that if you will go after, if, after Jesus, you're like, I don't understand the Bible. God will give you the ability to understand it. When you say, I don't know how to pray, he will show up there and teach you how to pray. If you will worship him, I don't even know how to love you or worship you. He will fill you with his love so you can give it right back to him. Because you cannot encounter God without loving him. Exodus chapter 20, verse 22 says, The Lord said this, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Therefore you shall not make anything to be beside me. Gods of silver and gods of gold you shall not make. What was he saying? He was saying nothing compares to the face-to-face encounter with the living God. Idols pale in comparison. Don't allow anything to grow in the margins of your life. Isaiah says that, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord. And it was in seeing the Lord. He says, I saw that the train of his robe filled the temple. And he says, and when God spoke to me, he says, I was undone. I was lost. He says, for I am an unclean man with unclean lips. And I dwell among a people with unclean lips. His life was completely changed. Every person in the Bible that you read about that had a face-to-face encounter with God never left the same. Because God is a God who doesn't come to us with condemnation. He doesn't come after us with judgment. He doesn't come after us trying to size us down. He doesn't come after us to keep us at an arm's length. He comes after us with full throttle love. God is love. He comes after us and he loves us and he gives us the capacity to love him. And here's what I love about it. It breaks the power of idols in your life. It breaks the power of idols. The allure of the things of this world begin to dim. God becomes real. He becomes our one thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. He is everything. He is it. He's my all. He fills me. He completes me. He is my destiny. He's my past. He's my present. He's my future. And I have no reserve. I have no retreat. And I have no regrets in my utter and total devotion. I have set my face like flint after going for God. And in the midst of a generation, I will leave no margin in my heart for the enemy or anyone else to build their image of who I am or who my God is. I will live for him. No margin. I will live going after him. See, I believe that's, that's what we need more than anything. We just need to have hearts where we just encounter him. Desperation's a great encounter. But Monday's coming. Will you encounter him? Tuesday's coming. Will you encounter him? Wednesday's coming. Will you encounter him? Well, I I hope I do. No, you are the deciding factor because I just want to end with this tonight, today, that God's already decided to love you and to encounter you. He's waiting on us to make the decision to say, Lord, in my life, all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, with my desires, 
with my security, with my future, with my destiny, with my pain, with everything that I am, with my relationships, God, I'm going to love you. I'm coming after you. I'm, I'm scheduling it. I'm determining right now that, Lord, if I'm, if I'm going to draw near to you, I love, the, I love the promise in James where it says this, that if we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And a holy collision happens of our heart and his heart. And we'll never be the same. We'll live in the midst of a generation that's living for idols and we'll demonstrate the face and the glory and the image of the living God because of the relationship we have with our Father. And that's what our nation, that's what this generation needs to see is that God's not some philosophy to believe in. He's a person to encounter and to experience. And that He changes us and that He breaks the power of addiction and idols in our life, allowing us to become who we were always meant to be. Stand up with me today. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.